Good evening. If you'll please open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to be taking our study from verses 1 through 13 there tonight. But what I want for us to do from the beginning is start at the conclusion of our passage in verse 13 so that you see where Paul is going with this idea of teachers who please God and what his goal and motivation is throughout this entire text. So notice verse Verse 13 with me, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Last week we talked about chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, and we saw how Paul praised the Thessalonians for becoming models and teachers for other Christians. Christians and non-Christians. But here in verse 13, I believe that Paul is showing us why these Christians were so fruitful. At the end of verse 13 there, he says that the word of God was at work in them. Really, as we consider becoming fruitful uh, Christians, the word of God is the only thing that can produce a fruitful Christian. That's the only thing that can do it. But what's interesting is this statement comes at the end of a passage where Paul puts forward himself and his companions as these model teachers that helped this happen, that helped put the word to work in the lives of these uh, non-believers who became new converts. We all really desire so much as we consider the Thessalonians, as we considered how fruitful they were last week. We, we all want the people we talk to to become fruitful. The, the non-believers, the new converts we teach and have contact with to be this fruitful. Uh, though verse 13 shows us that this can only happen through the word of God, the previous verses show us how we can become teachers who help the word work in their hearts so that they can become fruitful. Help us see how we can help non-believers and new converts uh accept, receive, and grow in the Word. And so then that's going to be the question tonight as we approach this text, as we approach verses 1 through 12 in particular. We're going to ask, how can we become teachers who help others receive and grow in the Word so that they can become fruitful? Let's notice this beginning with verses 1 through 6 in 1 Thessalonians 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts." For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. I believe that as we consider this paragraph here, the key to understanding everything that Paul says here is found at the end of verse 4. Model teachers aim not to please man 
but to please God. This is the underlying motivation, really, I suggest, of any truly successful teacher. The desire to please God instead of man. And really, this can be a real struggle for us as we consider any aspect of the Christian walk. But I want for us to ask in particular, how does a desire to please God instead of man change how a teacher teaches? There's a lot that Paul talks about in this passage that flows from his desire to please God. Uh, We could spend time talking about how he didn't seek glory from people or how he didn't come with a pretext for greed. But we're not going to focus on those things. We're just simply going to focus on verse 2. And notice verse 2 again with me. He says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul says here that because he aimed to please God, he had the boldness to speak the gospel, though he suffered greatly for it everywhere that he went. This really makes sense because if Paul was desiring to please man, I suggest that preaching the gospel would have been the last thing that he should have done because everywhere he went, it always incited the general public against him. He always ended up having to escape town or leave town or getting stoned before he could leave town. People didn't like it when he spoke the gospel. And so if he was desiring to please man, this was a bad thing to do. But he desired to please God, and so he spoke the word with boldness in spite of this fear. And so in the same way, I want for us to consider, if you and I seek to please man, I believe the danger is that we won't speak the gospel to unbelievers at all. I think it's applicable because isn't that, or couldn't that be one of our greatest dangers today? This keeping silent and not speaking the gospel to unbelievers at all. We greatly fear how people will react when we share the gospel. And this fear threatens to keep us silent. It constricts us. It fills us with worry. We're wondering if I say something to my friend here or I say something to them about God, what will they think? Will they still like me? Since Paul said that he spoke because he desired to please God, let's think about what our motivation could be for a moment. Could we not say that since Paul said he desired to please God and so he spoke, couldn't we say that our lack of speaking is a desire, is really motivated by a desire to please mankind? I can say for myself at least, my fear of speaking out in reality is fueled by desire to please mankind, to please people. Because I desire to please people, I don't boldly teach the gospel at every opportunity I have. That's a pretty serious problem, isn't it? That's going to constrict the growth of the gospel. So we must consider, how can we overcome this desire to please man that keeps us silent? We're not going to turn there, but I want for you to consider for a moment Acts chapters 4 and 5. What happened in Acts chapters 4 and 5 when the Sanhedrin council twice in a row told the apostles, told Peter, stop speaking about Jesus? How did they respond even when they were beaten in chapter 5? Well, they responded by saying, we cannot but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. They also said, we must obey God rather than men. 
you know, this really, these men really felt this great responsibility to speak because of what God had given them. They felt entrusted with this treasure that they must share. And I submit to you, you notice verse 4, that's exactly the same thing that Paul was motivated by. He had been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, as he says there. This is what motivated Paul. It's what motivated the apostles. They had been entrusted with the gospel and this caused them to realize where their true responsibilities lay. Their responsibility was towards God. Their responsibility was to share the gospel because they had experienced it and seen it in their own lives. They had seen its power. They had seen the joy that it brought them and so they felt burdened to please God. Well, how did they please God? Well, they were energized to speak freely and joyfully simply because it pleased God to spread the seed regardless of how people would respond. You think that that's what motivated Isaiah as well. What did God tell him? Keep on speaking. It doesn't matter if people are going to listen or not. I want you to sow the seed freely. We must then also be released from these fears and our desire to please mankind in the same way that the apostles and Paul himself were released from these fears. Because this is paralyzing us. It's paralyzing the growth of the gospel when we remain silent because of our fear of man's reaction. We must accept there will never be an overwhelming majority of people who receive the gospel when we speak to them. That's got to be something that we accept. And so in our moments of fear, let's talk about what it's going to be like when we have fear. In our moments of fear, let's remind ourselves... Put before ourselves the example of Paul and the apostles. Remind ourselves of where our responsibilities lie, just as they did. Remember, we have received joy just as the apostles and Paul did, and so we are burdened to freely speak about it, regardless of who listens or not. People cannot, and think about this for a moment, the ultimate consequence of this and where we're going in verse 13 with the word of God working in the Thessalonians. People cannot find the true joy we have experienced. People cannot find the word and have it work in their hearts unless we tell it to them, unless there is a teacher of the gospel in the same way these Thessalonians, they would have never found salvation. They would have never found the word that worked in their hearts and changed everything about how they lived every day if Paul did not have the boldness to speak and the boldness to disregard how people constantly responded whenever he spoke. And so model teachers aim to please God alone by speaking with boldness so that others have the opportunity to have the word work in their hearts. And so in your fear, in that moment of fear when you're standing before a friend or you're standing before someone, you're you're wondering, should I say something? Remind yourself of the great treasure you have experienced and the great joy you have experienced. And so your responsibility then is to please God by telling them about it, not to please them. Whether or not it pleases them is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to speak with boldness. Let's continue to learn how Paul taught the Thessalonians by noticing now verses 6 through 9. 
Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul says here that he and his fellow teachers cared for the Thessalonians in the same way a nursing mother would. They were like mothers to these new converts and, uh, and to these non-believers before they even came to Christ. This is in direct contrast to how Paul said he and his fellow teachers could have been like among these uh, among these Christians in verse 6. And I really like how the net phrases this. You can notice on the screen, he says there, although we could have imposed our weight as apostles of Christ, instead we became little children among you, like a nursing mother caring for her own children. That might be a little bit different than what your own translation says, but I really think it literally gets to the point of what Paul is saying here. Paul says they could have had a weighty presence, a weighty presence as apostles. They could have had this authoritative presence among the Thessalonians. Instead, they came with humility, gentleness, patience, and care. They were like nursing mothers to these people. I believe this picture of teachers being like nursing mothers to our friends we share the gospel with really adds a lot to our perception of who teachers are and how they should behave themselves. Consider the situation of non-believers and new converts for a moment. Aren't non-believers and new converts completely trying to reorient their way of thinking, completely trying to adopt a new worldview and way of life? They're opening up their hearts. They're opening up their lives in a very vulnerable way before us. I believe this really puts us in a position of power. I recognize as I speak to people, that puts me in a position of power. And I could have a weighty presence. We can have a weighty presence or an authoritative presence among someone. We could speak down to them and be impatient. We could demand instant life transformation. We could baptize them and refuse to nurture them at all. But Paul's example here shows us the absolute tragedy in this. Those we are teaching are becoming like our children and they need us to teach them just as a mother would. They need nurturing. Notice now in verses 8 through 9 how Paul says he and his fellow teachers were like nursing mothers to these Christians. Notice first verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Paul says they didn't just share their, the gospel with these new converts. They loved them so much that they shared their lives with them. That's a beautiful picture and it really makes sense as we consider mothers. Uh, mothers, consider for a moment, can you uh, plop a bottle in a baby's mouth and leave for the day? No, you can't do that. You know that would be absolutely ridiculous. The child wouldn't last through the day. A mother has to share her entire life and her entire soul with her needy children. They have to open themselves up day and night to serve them. 
If we're going to teach someone as a mother, non-believers and new converts need us to share our lives with them. Open up our entire lives. They need constant care. They need us. There are too many teachers today that simply desire to share the gospel of God with people, but do not desire to share their lives with them. I believe that we contribute to one spiritual death if we baptize someone and leave them to fend for themselves afterwards. Our entire lives, hearts, and schedules must be opened up because we are their supporters and they need spiritual mothers in a sense. Notice how much Paul, Silas, and Timothy made themselves available in verse 9. Notice what he says there. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. I think this is great. Though Paul, Silas, and Timothy all had the right to receive support as teachers, and they had the right to sleep at night, they gave up those rights so that they could effectively teach and nurture these people As mothers, they gave up the right of sleep. They gave up their right of support. They did not want to place the entire weight of Christian responsibility on them at once. They didn't want to say, hey, start supporting us, guys, because we're teaching you. Because they knew of how that would affect these new Christians. They knew they were already burdened with a lot. And so... uh, in this desire, in this lack of placing the entire weight of Christian responsibility on them, I believe they display true motherly love. And so to teach as mothers, I believe we must first begin to have a more gentle presence among those that we teach. We can't lay every Christian responsibility before the feet of a new convert or a non-believer. We cannot expect them to have our level of knowledge, service, or commitment right out of the gate. We've got to, when we teach them, have this disposition of humility and gentleness. And so, second, to help them grow towards this, this means we must not only just give them the gospel, but we must give them our entire lives. I submit to you that means sacrificing our rights, sacrificing our time, sacrificing our energy. This means being a friend who kindly sends them a text to encourage them or writes them a thoughtful letter. Guys, let's start opening up our homes, opening up our families Because these people need us. There are people already here that we see visiting with us that need our care. There are already non-believers in our lives that need a real family, a spiritual family to nurture them. And so let's open that up. Let's share our lives. Let's really become their mothers, their brothers, their sisters close to them. We don't want to smother them, certainly, but... We need to be willing to open up our lives and share them, share it with them. And I believe if we'll simply ask how a mother would treat a newborn baby, I believe we'll start to learn more and more how in practical ways we can begin to teach those uh, that we come in contact with like a mother so that they can grow in the word and receive the word and have it become a fruitful source of change in their life. But what's interesting is Paul actually, as we conclude this idea of mothers being teaching like a mother, Paul actually continues this parental picture of teachers in verses 10 through 12. Notice verses 10 through 12 with me. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. 
For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We see here overall then that model teachers aim to please God by speaking with boldness. And model teachers are like mothers in their consistent and uh, gentle nurturing. But now we see here in verses 10 through 12 that teachers are to be like fathers. And Paul illustrates this here in this passage in verses 10 through 12 through two actions. I want you to first notice verse 12 and how they were fathers to the Thessalonians in the way they exhorted and encouraged and charged them to walk in a manner worthy of God. They encouraged them as a father. They charged them to walk in a pure way. They spoke up overall, I believe they spoke up and gave them instruction as a father would to a child and encouraged them. I believe this reminds us of the importance of being a father and actually teaching non-believers and actually teaching new converts with our words and exhorting them and charging them to live in a good way, the way that God would command. Our carefully worded instruction is vital to one another's growth, isn't it? Because children chip and fall and they need a father to help them and lovingly encourage them and show them through their own examples and through their own way of how they've lived in the past and say, you know, this is how I overcame that situation or this is how you can not trip and fall again. Giving them instruction and being close enough to them in, in heart to give them that instruction and to talk to them. This means then that there are sometimes gentle but difficult conversations that have to happen. We must encourage, implore, plead, and insist with love that these new Christians grow into maturity just as a father would. They need spiritual fathers. I believe closely related to this, we see a second aspect of fathers in verse 8, or verse 10, sorry, verse 10. He says, you are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Paul says here that their holy, righteous, and blameless conduct towards these believers was very important. Why? Well, consider how significant it is that a father has a righteous living, a righteous lifestyle among his children. Children need examples to imitate. That's something we already saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. When the Thessalonian Christians were undergoing persecution, who did they imitate? Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the people right there before them. In the same way, new converts and non-believers need people to imitate. They need, quote-unquote, fathers to imitate in their righteous and holy lifestyle. Children are only frustrated by a father who teaches them spiritually, but does not live their teachings, does not live what they speak. In the same way, we need people who are exemplifying Holy conduct. We need to exemplify holy conduct for them. I believe this gives us an effective picture because overall this strikes to the heart of what many fathers actually struggle with and what we struggle with as we teach people. Many teachers only focus on being fathers in exhorting and in charging people to live a godly life. They dispense wisdom and instruction, but they don't live it. And we know that kids see right through that at home, don't they? Non-believers see right through that as well. They see right through our words that we say 
but don't live. They see right through it. It's why we're charged so often of becoming hypocrites. Sometimes that's justified, sometimes it's not. But it's a reality that we've got to watch out for. Non-believers and new Christians need examples to live by. Why? Because they need a visible demonstration of the gospel in daily life. They need that visible demonstration of what we've been speaking. I like what G.K. Beale says of this. He says, When we do not live in a manner that demonstrates the truth of the good news, what we say about the gospel with our lips may have no lasting persuasiveness or effectiveness for the lives of the hearers with the result that they themselves will not please God. We can't just say what needs to be said, Christians. We've got to live what needs to be lived. New converts need examples that display gospel truths in daily life. And so practically, I believe that this reminds us of how Jesus told us to take care of the plank in our own eye before taking out another's speck. Teachers must pursue holy and blameless conduct. We must show them what it's like to be pure in heart. We must show them how to have a godly marriage, how to treasure Christ, how to turn away from sin. Though I must always be motivated in my actions by a desire to please God, uh, we've got to all recognize every time we sin, there is a greater consequence than what it does to our own souls. It could have a greater consequence for them and those people that we are trying to teach and exemplify holy conduct for. That needs to be a burden on our lives. The reality that our lives, the way we live, our conduct can hurt our example so that other people won't know how to live and will only be frustrated by the examples before them. Teachers need then overall, to sum that up, to be fathers in their words that lovingly exhort children to godliness and in their holy conduct that provides an example to live by. Notice then again the conclusion of all this in verse 13 and what the result of this teaching is. Verse 13 again. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Model teachers recognize that the only thing that can transform an ungodly non-believer and a struggling new convert to godliness, the only thing that can do that is the Word of God. And so that changes every uh, everything about the way we are among new converts and non-believers. It means we're constantly putting the Word before them because we know that our little cute sayings and our ways of life aren't going to change them, but the Word of God is going to change them. My perfect lifestyle is not going to change them. The Word of God is going to change them. But there is a way we live that helps them do this. And I submit to you that there are already newer Christians in this congregation and even non-Christians that are with us at times that we can begin to practice this on. There are already friends in our own lives, in our own lives that we can begin pursuing and showing them the beauty of the Word of God so that that can transform their lives. The beautiful thing as we've seen today and as we've seen uh, last week is that this is not some great difficult thing that has to be worked on for years in order to accomplish. The New Thessalonian converts became teachers themselves. And might I say they became very effective teachers as well. As we've seen in the description today, 
being bold, being a mother, being a father to new converts and non-believers is not something that takes a great professional to do. It's something we can all join in to do. God simply needs for us to be bold enough to speak of Jesus Christ, our joy. So I urge you in your daily walk, be bold like Paul was to speak the gospel. Be gentle and nurturing as a mother would be. Exhort to godly living and live your words as a father should. Let's join as a team of teachers that raise up a new generation of faithful Christians in this church and in this community so that fruitfulness will grow throughout South Florida and throughout the world. If there's any way that we can help nurture you in your own lifestyle and help you, help exhort you towards godliness in your life, we urge you to let us know. We urge you to talk to us. It is so beautiful to be in a relationship with God where He is our Father and He is close to us and we at the same time have this great family of Christians to work together with. And so if you've not put on Christ yet, wow. It is amazing to be in the arms of God and it's amazing to have Him nurture us and to be in this great family. You can simply come to Him by expressing your faith in Him, by being baptized in water, having your sins washed away, and you can walk up to raise a new life full of joy, full of life, though there are many afflictions in this world. If there's any way we can help you, talk to us afterward or come forward to the front while we stand and while we sing.